Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Welcome back for another episode of Civic Tech Chat. This time, we're joined by a couple folks from the city of Austin. But before we hop in there, I do want to remind you that if you've liked our programming so far, to head on over to your podcast app and give us a five-star review. Doing so helps us reach a broader audience, which is always great, and it helps give me that little nudge to continue working on this just a little harder. So back to what we're doing for this episode. Uh, We will be joined by two folks. Uh, One of them will be Farah Muscadin, the director of the Office of Police Oversight for the city of Austin, as well as Marnie Wilhite, the head of product, communications, and technology management for the same. We'll be getting into a conversation about some work they've been doing to improve the public feedback process in regards to the public and the police department there, and how that led to the creation of a pretty interesting form. So with all that said, let's go ahead and hop right into the discussion. Farah, Marnie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us here on Civic Tech Chat for what I believe will be a really interesting conversation. Uh, to get us started here, can each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about you, what you do? Uh, Farah, would you like to get us started? Sure. Uh, my name is Farah Muskinen. I'm the director of the Office of Police Oversight. Um, it's a new um, civilian police oversight office that was created November of last year. And I'm primarily responsible for the office that um, provides oversight of the Austin Police Department. So we are the place where um, members of the community come to if they have um, had issues with an Austin police officer and also the place to come to if they would like to thank an Austin police officer. And hi, I'm Marnie Wilhite. Um, I lead the Office of Design and Delivery within the Communications and Technology Management team. Um, We were created just about a year ago, actually, uh, to bring talent from private industry, service designers, uh, developers, um, user researchers, and content strategists into the public sector to help uh, transform government services. And each of you have taken uh, pretty interesting paths, uh, respectively, as far as your careers go. Uh, Could you share a little bit about that path and what led to you coming to this current role? at the Overset office. Um, Marnie, would you like to get us started? Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, I I started in the startup world, software tech startup world, um, and worked there for about 12 years. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me is I never even considered a job in the public sector. It was never something my parents talked to me about. It was always, you know, go out and, and have a career in the private sector. And so, uh, actually, the reason that I'm here is because of Barack Obama. Um, He did the South by Southwest keynote, I believe, four years ago, and he talked about how uh, there are so many talented people in the private sector that could be giving back, and we really need to think about that. So, it was the first time that that ever occurred to me. Uh, And uh, there was, at the time, a fellows program that was started by Ben Guin. Um, He came to the city from the federal government. 
um, and basically had this thesis that uh, he would be able to attract people from private industry to come in and do this work. Um, so luck would have it, it, those roles opened up at the same time as I was kind of trying to figure out how to give back to my community after uh, not feeling that great about the work that I was producing for social uh, programs. Um, so uh, I applied and I ended up coming into the role, kind of dipping my toe into the public sector and I fell in love with working for the city. So I have continued on. Um, so my path is a little bit, well, it's actually a lot random. Um, so I'm relatively new to the city of Austin, to Austin, Texas. I've been here just about three years. Um, I needed a change and I made a personal decision to just literally pack up and move. So I moved to Austin three years ago. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job. Um, not something I would necessarily recommend, but it was, it was an interesting journey. So my background is pretty much all government. I've worked in government for 17 years. Um, I honestly didn't even know that the police monitor's office existed in Austin. Um, I, I have much uh, a legal and political background. Um, and so um, I'm someone who believes in the universe. And so I think that the stars aligned and um, I had opportunities um, to work in the city in small projects. And then that led me to working with the innovation office and that's where I met Marnie. And then from there, I was asked if I'd be interested in being the interim police monitor. Um, and I was like, okay, this sounds great. I mean, I do have a background in law. I do have a background in policing. And, you know, uh, community policing is something that's always been very important to me. Um, and so, yeah, once I said yes, kind of the rest is history. And so I started as the interim police monitor in January of 2018 um, and became permanent in June. Um, and then as we changed the office, I became the director um, in October. Um, and so I would say it's a non-traditional path, but I think you know, somebody that believes that everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so this work for me is so personally and professionally rewarding. I think it was just not only kind of the stars being aligned, but being kind of the right person at the right time um, with the right opportunity. And within each of your areas of practice, is there a piece of media, whether it's like a book, podcast, YouTube video, or or something else entirely that's inspired or informed you along the way? I have always been, um, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. <laughs> I think it's a blessing and a curse. Um, but I I really enjoy the ability to share information in various platforms. And I think just, I don't know if I can point to a specific thing, but I think the fact that we have all those different um, avenues for information has been important to me. Um, just particularly when we talk about social justice issues, um, because, you know, in, in my area of policing, I mean, the media has been really important. The, the various media outlets and opportunities people have to share information has really gotten some of the things that we really need to discuss to the forefront. Um, and particularly in Austin, it, it's part of the reason why I'm here. You know, it's part of the reason why we're continuing this conversation about police oversight. So um, again, I don't know if I could point to something specific, but I, I look at it um, as something that is necessary and needed to really push forward some social justice issues. 
Um, for myself, uh, I'd say uh, one of my favorites uh, is uh, be, uh, free, free economics. Uh, behavioral science is uh, really important. Behavioral economics is really important to the work that we do. Um, and on that note, a more uh, random set of uh, podcasts would be uh, the lab at DC produces a podcast where they interview a lot of behavioral scientists uh, or scientists in general that have really done a deep dive on a specific topic and how things work. Um, and on that note, uh, the guy that led the lab at DC, David Yoakum, uh, he's moved on to Brown University to start a new program there. And they're about to start up a new podcast called 30,000 Leaks, uh, which will be along the same vein, um, you know, and exploring these really interesting topics. Uh, so I'm excited about hearing how he changes it or how he adjusts it in this new place. But DC Lab, uh, lab or rather the lab at DC still does their uh, podcast as well. One thing I think is interesting about Austin's Office of Design and Delivery is that you folks have a written set of principles on your website. Mm. Yeah. I myself am a fan of this sort of behavior. Uh, I work for a place that, that does the same sort of thing. Uh, how do these principles guide your work and the choices you make while going about it? Well, you know, one thing, we, we actually use those principles as part of our hiring criteria. So our interview questions are actually centered around those principles as we, uh, as we identify people that can work in this space the way that we need to. So it's kind of infused into the culture from the beginning from anybody that we bring on to our organization. We're making sure that they, uh, that they can meet those principles. And so, you know, it's, it's really easy at that point, right? Um, and on top of that, we try to build out a governance model within our, uh, within our team to make sure that we continue to uh, explore those. So, you know, things that we put residents first, for instance, being something that uh, is really important to us. So how we do that equitably is something that we've been able to make sure that everybody understands how to do that. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that... Uh, um, I am most keen on when we talk about uh, how we approach our work is um, strong opinions loosely held. And so that specifically uh, is important for us to have an open and inviting space. Um, and so things like having retros at the end of a two week sprint, making sure that there's an open space for everyone to talk about what didn't go well, or if they might have had a moment where uh, things weren't well, which Farah is nodding because she experienced this when she was part of the team. <laughs> yeah. It took some adjusting. I wasn't used to having retrospectives. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we try to make sure that, you know, again, it just starts with that hiring process, making sure we're bringing in people that, that those values are core to who they are as well. I think it's about time here that we can go ahead and roll into our main topic and talk about uh, some of the work y'all have done. Uh, to that end, uh, the Police Oversight Advisory Working Group uh, was created after an Austin City Council resolution was passed uh, March 22nd of 2018. Uh, this seems to eventually led to some collaboration between that working group and the Office of Design and Delivery's Service Design Lab. Before we dive into the nitty-gritty of that work, can you give our listeners the high level of what this relationship sought to accomplish? Um, so it started a little bit earlier. When I, when I started um, as the interim police monitor, a lot of what I needed to do when I first got started was just introduce myself because I was new to Austin and introduce myself in the role in the office. And one of the things that I found very interesting um, when my community, in my communications and, and just um, conversations with members of the community, 
how there was just a disconnect between what I was hearing that was going on in the community between residents and the police department and our numbers. And so it said to me, you know, something's not right. Something is, there's, 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 there's a disconnect somewhere. And so one of the things that I learned from working in the innovation office um, is that we, can't, we shouldn't necessarily assume what the problem is. Um, and then also a lot of times we, based on that assumption, we develop solutions for that, that assumption and then it doesn't necessarily fix the problem. So I didn't want to assume why people weren't coming forward to file complaints on misconduct. And so that's when um, we developed a partnership um, with the ODD team to look into, you know, the barriers of the complaint process. And that involved a significant amount of user research and analysis. And so that was really helpful because then what we put into place were things that were based on actual feedback from residents and the research that had been conducted, and we figured out what the actual problem was. Um, and so that work really folded into um, and evolved with the work of the working group because we were responsible for coming up with what do we want civilian oversight to look like in the city of Austin. Um, and what I talk about is, you know, when it comes to oversight, it's very specific to the city, it's specific to the community, it's, uh, you know, the, the politics, the laws and everything. And so I jokingly but seriously said, whatever we come up with for Austin is going to have, you know, a little queso and cilantro in it, right? It's something very unique to, to, um, to Austin. And that's what that working group provided was figuring out how we get there. And the work that was done from the research team helped inform um, the working group in making the recommendations of what we needed to change and include in our over, oversight structure going forward. One thing I'll add on to that, um, so as far as the composition of the working group, uh, there were people from the police department, um, internal affairs, there were activists um, and there were grassroots activists, right? So you, you had this spread of people, which is for our work within Office of Design and Delivery, um, we're trying to say, or try to look at who is not at the table right now and making sure that we actually bring all of those perspectives together. So it was really great because a lot of times we end up having to assemble that, that uh, advisory group, but they already had done it. Um, and so being able to make sure that we were getting all those perspectives right during that interview process. So those grassroots uh, people uh, trusted Farah and were willing to let us do research with them and connect us to other members of the community. Because when we talk about this specifically, right, we're, we're talking about um, vulnerable community members. Um, and so you do need to make sure that people trust you when you're going and asking these kind of questions, especially as a government entity. Um, so it was pretty uh, convenient and helped us move much faster that Farah already had this group of people that were talking about how we needed to do this change. I think it's really keen that, that you mentioned uh, all of the like kind of the research work that it sounds like went in at the beginning as it leads uh, right to this next question I had. Uh, as I believe from the documentation I saw online uh, from this that one of the uh, findings that, that came up was that improvements could be made to the public feedback process. What were some of like the trends or patterns that you saw in that research that were maybe seen as like key to kickstarting that sort of work? I mean, I think when I think about the public feedback, I think about, I think, I think I look at it in two different ways. I look at it from providing a way that people feel confident and safe in coming forward with complaints 
And then also being able to close the loop with that feedback. And so one of the things that came out in the research is that people were just scared. People were fearful of coming forward. So it's like we had to really think about, and this is where, you know, I love this conversation that we're having because, you know, would it naturally come to somebody to think about ways of using technology to help address a social issue? Right. And so that's where bringing the two together was so important, because one of the ways to do that was developing this this anonymous complaint form that was so simple and straightforward and very intuitive to help at least have one avenue for people to come forward that are afraid of the process, afraid of law enforcement um, and just potentially traumatized from the experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on the flip side of that. what came out in the research is that not only was there a lack of trust with law enforcement, there was a lack of trust of the process in our office. So we had to really figure out how are we going to build trust in members of the community so that that they will come to us. And part of that was facilitating our communication with them because we found that a lot of people had no idea what happened with their complaint. Phone calls weren't being returned. So that didn't come to light but for the research. Um, And so we were able to really kind of develop solutions on the front end and on the back end on really how to to deal with um, that fear that people have with coming forward. Did you end up finding that there were any like ways that seemed to work and like helping folks overcome those those sorts of things? Yeah, so I think that um, there are a few things that helped doing that. Um, The simplicity of the form I think help doing that because let me explain to you how it was before and how it is now. So before someone who wanted to file a complaint for misconduct had to fill out a complaint form, fill out an affidavit and have it notarized. That in and of itself is a barrier. So to go from that to being able to fill out a complaint form online that's mobile friendly, you can send it via email, you can call us. I mean, you really can send it in any way. I think really helped that because imagine if you are someone who experienced um, some sort of police misconduct, how likely are you to do those three things? I mean, it's, it's probably very, very unlikely. And that was one of the components that came out in the research is, is that, you know, we're, we're, we want oversight in Austin. We want people to come forward, but like, it's not realistic to ask someone who may have experienced something negative to fill out this form that was like a job application mm-hmm. and get write an affidavit and then get it notarized. I mean, like, I don't even know where you go to get things notarized anymore. I mean, do we really need, you know what I'm saying? So even that in and of itself is difficult. And how many times, you know, are you going to be like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm moving on. So um, it's also recognizing, I think what was another thing that, that was important that came out of the research is, um, recognizing the level of compassion that needs to be done in this work because it is very difficult for people who have experienced something traumatic to come forward. And then when, when that traumatic experience may have involved law enforcement, that is, you know, that, that is even more of a reason why you probably wouldn't want to come forward. So um, I think that having the ability to fill out an application from the comfort of one's home, from you know having different um, 
different avenues to do it. And, and it's so intuitive that it makes it seem less daunting to a potential complainant. Yeah, I'll add on to that. Um, you know, one thing that as Farrah stepped into this role, we realized that a lot of people didn't even realize where this office was. And when they heard about it or they had heard about it, they assumed it was part of the police department, right? And so when you're talking about filing a complaint and going straight to the agency where you had a, a, a an experience that was less than pleasant. Um, again, talking about vulnerable communities that aren't going to necessarily feel safe. They, they're going to uh, fear retaliation. Um, so it was really important that we started to identify that this is a neutral third party, the police oversight office, that they were there to be able to analyze what, what needed to be done next. Was there a misstep or uh, did there need to be some changes and, and, you know, how we approach training or things like that. I think another big thing um, that's really interesting Thing that came out of this is that, you know, as far as starting to get into the community and building these relationships with all of these organizations, um, you know, a big thing that we found is that when we're talking about these vulnerable communities, we need to have a champion that's willing to say, yes, this is a good thing. Um, someone that they trust. Um, you know, one of the early research that we had was uh, with some of uh, the Asian immigration immigrant communities. Uh, actually, the feedback from them was that there are businesses that don't always make a report to the police because their experience in their home country with law enforcement was not positive. So it's not necessarily that they aren't coming forward and telling us these things because of our own police department. It's just that in the past, that has never been, don't want police or law enforcement involved at all. So again, working with those kind of uh, people, um, uh, those advocacy groups that are representative of them, getting their trust to say like, hey, no, we really do want to make sure that we're making good decisions as a city was really important. And I think it will continue to be important for us to get good feedback and help us guide our work. Let's say that I've relocated myself to, to Austin. And for whatever reason, I, I need to uh, make use of this process. Uh, could you talk me through like what my experience might be like if I engaged with this form and kind of went through what the cycle is like? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we do definitely try to do a user journey and understand how people are getting there. And the majority of the time, right, people are going to Google how to find uh, how to do this kind of complaint. Um, maybe they will hear again from an advocacy group being the, the biggest avenues. Um, and so there's a couple of journeys you could talk about. One being, you know, someone does a search and they find it. Um, we, uh, we're committed to our population and making sure that people have the ability to make these complaints. 25% of Austin Knights uh, are uh, Spanish speakers first of the households. So, for instance, we did all of the translations manually to make sure that they made sense uh, in Spanish. So it's not just uh, a Google Translate because that's often not correctly translated. Um, and so the big, one of the biggest things is immediately we ask you to detail uh, your experience because if you have had um, uh, an, uh, an experience where you are feeling vulnerable and uh, you're trying to make a complaint, if we're immediately asking for your name and, you know, all of your identification information, you might take a step back and not actually fill out that form. Um, so we want to give them the chance to immediately tell us uh, what happened. Um, and, and do that in a free space. Um, we then ask for uh, identif you know, identifying locations um, that it might have happened at. So this is something that Farah can use data-wise um, and the police department can use if it's something that is passed on. Um, 
we uh, uh, ask for an information about them. So one thing that we do, uh, as Fair mentioned, we allow for anonymous complaints, but if people are willing to tell us information, it means that we can follow up um, and, and we can actually get a feedback loop going as far as what happens with the complaint that they submit. Um, also, identification of demographic information is useful because we want to know what populations uh, are giving us feedback, where we might be still missing uh, feedback from populations. Uh, I'd let Farah speak to that more than myself. Yeah, so let me just say this. So this is why the research was so important because the research informs kind of how the layout of the complaint form should be. And so it goes, so if you think about a job application, right? You generally have to fill out your name and address first, right? Mm -hmm. And so we are trying to promote the fact that people can make anonymous complaints to deal with kind of the fear and the ambivalence factor. So if you're trying to do that, you can't ask for a name in, you know, your name first, yeah. right? So in, 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 in my office, really what we need is date, time, location. Those are really the three most important things that we need first. So that's what's asked up front. So when you go to our website, at the top, you're going to see file a complaint or send a thank you. I mean, you can't miss it. And you click on one, which one you want to do. And it literally walks you through step-by-step step how to fill out the complaint. And it isn't until you get to the, to the, towards the end that you can check the box if you want to be kept up to date on it because it assumes you want to be anonymous. And so if you click the box and say, oh no, I want to be kept up to date on this complaint, that's when then you can provide your, um, your contact information in your name if you want to, but it presumes don't. Um, and I like that part of it because it's directly tied to the research that was conducted. Um, and the other part that I really like about it is it is so intuitive. It really guides the person step by step by step. And um, short of kind of what a complainant may write in the, in the box to, you know, kind of tell me what happened box, um, this is something that could probably be done in five minutes or less. I mean, you know, we're a fast culture. We, we really don't have much patience. And so to be able to get through very quickly, um, you know, a complaint form, um, in five minutes or less, I think says a lot because it would take you more than five minutes to fill out a complaint form, write an affidavit and get it notarized. Mm -hmm. in, in keeping, it seems like there's a, a bit of a theme there where you've essentially been trying to like remove barriers to, to, to the use of the process. To that end, have you all seen an, an increase of, of folks trying to use it? Uh, and if so, like, are, are there any patterns from the data? If, if, if you have that available in your brain in this moment, that um, maybe that have like garnered some results that you thought were interesting? So I do think that there is an increase in using it. I mean, um, I don't think Austin is that different from many other cities that um, the majority of the people here are very mobile savvy and mobile users. And our site is um, very much mobile compatible. Um, and so what I've heard, um, I would say anecdotally is that um, we're getting a lot of compliments on the ease and the simplicity of it. Um, we're still assessing the data, um, but um, one thing that I, I am I'm kind of finding very interesting is that I think it's reduced the phone calls we're getting. Um, I think people are more are, are utilizing the complaint form to contact us than calling us, um, and I think that that's that's an important tie to technology um, that people are um, using the form 
and finding it accessible um, and finding it easy to, to fill out. Um, we're going to, because that's another thing that I like about working with ODD is that it's always about kind of iterating and improving. And so um, we launched the, the um, online form end of March, I think it was March 27th. Um, and so I think we're probably going to be coming close, probably within six months, like in the September and a September timeframe, really looking at the data and assessing it. And then I'll be working with Marty's team to figure out, okay, what can we make better? Um, what does, what does this data tell us, um, to be able to improve the process? But I would say generally speaking that there is an increase in the use of the form. I, I gather that, uh, part of your work involved interacting and, uh, I guess contributing to as well, the, with the open source system called the United States Forum System, which mm-hmm. I believe is a United States digital service repository. Uh, could you all talk a little bit about like what the experience was like interacting with that project? Yeah, um, you know, one of the things that uh, when we talk about the open source movement that is done better in private industry than in public is uh, re- building out reusable components. Um, you know, when we, uh, when we want to build something out, we want it to be something that can be utilized by other uh, government agencies, whether it's uh, city, county, federal, state, whatever. Um, and so we were looking for people that had already kind of met the accessibility standards that we were keen to have uh, as the city of Austin, or committed to have as the city of Austin. And so, uh, of course, U.S. Digital Services uh, is a great organization that uh, already has a lot of applications they've built in the open source uh, community. And uh, so the form system was a really great one to pick up. It was, um, they were super helpful. We've actually had tons of conference calls with them to talk through how we can uh, build out the application. We actually have committed code back to it. So we found things that we could improve or adjust that would help it make uh, even more reusable as a, as a system. And so um, I think it's been great for them as well, seeing that we're interacting directly with them um, and it's getting reused. And really that's more of what we need to see in general is uh, things like the form system that U.S. Digital Services built out um, and kind of what we're looking to continue to uh, do as City of Austin is uh, help build out those same kind of systems that can be reused by other governments and, and, and work on that. Well, and also, I mean, I really want to start a movement of other oversight agencies um, because, you know, our experience here in Austin with the fear and accessibility is, is unfortunately not unique to Austin. And so it would be, you know, I think the long-term goal is being able to um, share the technology and share um, the methodology behind it with, you know, our sister oversight agencies um, to just really help improve the process and increase the access. I I think that uh, uh, brings up maybe what uh, could be an interesting question to explore as well is if, let's say if there is someone in this civic tech chat audience that works in an oversight office and they're hearing what you have to say so far. And they're like, wow, like I, I really want to give this a go. Uh, do you have any advice that you'd give them in like trying to push that ball forward? I would say to um, probably develop some technology allies um, and partnerships um, because that is really going to help. Um, community involvement is like, probably number one um, and because that really helped us the community support 
was the momentum really behind this project. Um, they really wanted to see change. They wanted it in a different way. And it, it really helped propel this project. Um, so I would say building, I don't know if you necessarily need a coalition, but I think community partnerships, tech partnerships, um, I would start there first. I would start by getting a group of people that have a shared vision for pushing a project like this forward. Um, yeah, I think that helped us really be, I mean, if you think about it, the, um, the new office was created in November of 2018. Um, some of the research started, I think, probably summer of 2018, and then it continued on with the development of this website. But for a government entity to create you know, a new website with a new form by first quarter the following year is really kind of unheard of. Um, government doesn't work that fast. Saying, and I don't know if we would have accomplished that without the support and the momentum of the community. And as things have gone so far, uh, what would you say is one thing that you're most proud of within this project? And uh, what's one thing that you'd like to maybe put intention into around it, looking into the future? I think I'm most proud of the fact that we were able to get this done and we were able to get it done so quickly. It showed a commitment to improving oversight and the access um, to it, to the community um, and to all the stakeholders. I think that, um, I mean, this is a really, really big step in the right direction for Austin. And I'm really proud personally and professionally to be a part of that um, because I think it recognized that we had some problems it recognized we needed to find some solutions and we went you know we went the non-traditional route actually to find the solutions right the traditional government route is to just you know kind of either update the form or put the form as a pdf you know what i mean like we didn't do that we we did research we developed kind of what we thought the the specific question needed to be that needed to be answered and um, we're really methodical in um, coming up with that solution, and we involved community and relevant stakeholders at every point of the process. I think that's personally is something that the city of Austin should be extremely proud of. Um, and the thing that I'm looking forward to, particularly on the oversight side, is you know it, I like to say, I have these sayings that I say, but like when when people don't know what you're doing, they don't think you're doing anything at all, right? And so one of the things that we're trying to improve is transparency. And I'm really looking forward to phase two of our website because I really want, I'm looking forward to making the information that we can now make available, making it available in a way that's not only accessible, but it's digestible to various audiences. So it's not enough to just plop up um, a PDF or plop up, you know, some content on a website. No, we're going through almost the exact same process of being methodical and really thinking about with all this new information that we could provide to the community, data, reports, recommendations, infographics, like what is the best way to do that so that our community feels fully informed about the oversight that we're providing 
and what the police department, you know, what it's doing. And that's our role. And I'm just excited about utilizing developing technologies and the new approaches in technology to make that happen. My answer definitely echoes a lot of what Farah just talked about, uh, you know, bringing these kind of, uh, of practitioners into government service designers, user researchers, content strategists, developers, and doing things in an iterative fashion. Um, so, you know, the thing that Farah talked about is that we're continuing to iterate upon this. The first form that we created is very different than the one we actually had on the website uh, when we officially launched. So it was a very iterative process. We tried something and we uh, tested it. We did usability testing and we learned and we altered it based on those things. Uh, so I'm super excited about the data we're going to have uh, in another year to look at where are people dropping off. Uh, where can we continue to have an increase, more of an, an even bigger increase in uh, those feedback uh, or that feedback from the community. Um, and I'm really proud of that we were able to do this in iterative, because like, as Farah said, it's usually not very fast the, the, the way government works. It's a, a slow moving ship. Uh, and we were able to do things that private industry has done really well for a really long time. Um, and so I think it's been a really great example, specifically for police oversight, but uh, being able to do this on such an important part of the city, working with, uh, with Farah, has helped us demonstrate how we can do that change. So it's uh, a great way to get other, uh, other um, civil servants to jump on board of like, hey, we can do this differently. It's not just the case that we should just do it with police oversight. We need to make sure we're applying this methodology across all of the services that we offer. Uh, so I'm definitely proud that we were able to do with Farah and have this example for people to follow. Something that's come up uh, a few times in these sort of uh, like digital services oriented projects, whether it's from that type of organization or, or from uh, another, uh, is the idea that um, having some amount of air cover is oftentimes important. Uh, is that something that came up at all through this project? And if so, like what, what kind of impact did that have? I think that, you know, the community pretty much demanded a change in oversight. And you mentioned the, um, the resolution that came from council in March. Um, that really provided the direction of we need more research. We need to look in this deeper, right? And so I would say that the transformation of oversight had the support of all of city council, um, because I believe that resolution was passed unanimously. Um, it had the support of the city manager. Um, I believe it had the support of his team. And that really helps propel this forward and put the, the resources that um, we needed to make this happen. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Was it important and necessary to get this done? Yes. But I feel like utilizing oversight is the example of not only kind of a new framework of how to do things in terms of agile, utilizing, you know, technology in a different way. I mean, at the end of the day, if you could do this for oversight, <laughs> you know what I mean, which is so nuanced and so specific and very political and, you know, it's a touchy topic, you really could do this in any kind of government area. So um, I appreciate kind of being the poster child or the office being the poster child or the guinea pig, whatever you want to talk about it, um, because I think it shows the potential of what, um, so that backing, that executive cover that the Office of Police Monitor and the Office of Police Oversight had 
to me translates to the movement of really utilizing technology in the city in a different way. So um, to, to the point where you, you, you hopefully, we hopefully won't need that same executive cover going forward because we are such a good example of what that technology can do to improve services and access for residents. Uh, I don't, I mean, Farah was a great partner, right? We had a director that wanted to bring this kind of change. And so uh, it, it does require uh, that kind of director level to have a buy-in to doing things differently. As she mentioned, this is not how government normally works. Um, and so her understanding that this was a different process, that we weren't going to go the traditional route, um, you know, was incredibly important to giving us that space. Because a lot of times, Government employees, uh, there's a fear. We, we are doing public work. Um, it's all uh, uh, public information, so anybody can ask for what, uh, the information about what we're doing. And, you know, there are tons of stories out there that make people scared to do anything different, right? Um, so I think you're kind of hinting at that with the digital uh, services space within uh, government entities. So it's definitely, it does require that, I, you know, our uh, chief information officer, Stephen Elkins, also uh, gives us that air cover of letting us do things differently. So between having Farah and Stephen there as our champions and our advocates to say, let's try this something new, uh, that was incredibly important. And it, honestly, having a director uh, that, that uh, we have to have that kind of readiness and confirmation from them that they're, they're ready to do something different before we can move forward because it can affect the success of our project. Farah, Marnie, thank you so much again for taking the time to come on Civic Tech Chat. I think we've had a really illuminating conversation uh, about the way you've gone about this project. And I think there's going to be a lot of folks out there that will have uh, nuggets of wisdom that they can take into their own work or perhaps future work. Um, as is tradition with this program, one of the things we do is give space for our guests to kind of have the last word, uh, to leave us with the concluding thoughts they have as we leave this conversation. Uh, so for each of you, uh, what is that? If people within government are encountering um, no's as far as trying to do something different, um, if they're getting, we've always done it this way, um, that they really should uh, look out to other people in the communities, other communities that have done it well. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to other people. Uh, we have connections internationally that we talk to based on the problems that we're encountering or the barriers and challenges that we're trying to overcome. So don't be afraid uh, of reaching out to uh, the community, especially in the public sector. Everybody's trying to help each other. Everybody wants everyone else to do uh, better. Uh, and so I would encourage, uh, you know, my fellow career civil servants to uh, make sure that you're building those relationships. Um, and also, you know, while each city and state and uh, area is unique, a lot of these problems are very similar. Uh, and we're talking about, uh, you know, police oversight and being able to file uh, complaints or thank yous. Um, the vulnerabilities and the difficulties there, a lot of those are very similar. Um, so while we do need to make sure that we adjust for each community that is, uh, is trying to address a challenge, um, a lot of times we can build uh, off of what has already been done um, if we've made sure that we've done the right research up front. I think the biggest point that I want to get across is, you know, that utilizing technology for a social issue, right? And 
and that it's not, you know, this shouldn't be a rarity. This should be the rule, right? Um, and so I think that, you know, I'm a proponent of, you know, the, the your um, partnerships that you wouldn't necessarily assume or think of, like those are the partnerships you should develop, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure anybody would put police oversight and design and delivery together. But when you do, look what happens. You know what I'm saying? So that's really kind of the point that I would like to leave with um, is that because if I stayed in the oversight box, I probably would not have a new online complaint form. I'd probably have maybe a modified paper form, uh, maybe a few less PDFs. Um, but I think that, you know, we live in a day and age where you have to think outside the box. And I think that you have to be open to, I mean, even if we failed, it still would have been a success, right? Because at the very least, we had the research to tell us what our problems were. But fortunately, we had the resources to have the research to tell us what our problems were and the resources to fix it, right? But even if we didn't have that, we at least had the research to have and to hopefully in the future develop those solutions. So um, I like the, you know, I think that in government, people, you know, it's like you can't fail. It's taxpayer dollars. But I think that it makes more sense to me to have the opportunity to fail and let that lead to efficiencies than to continue to do the things the same way that are already inefficient. Again, I want to thank you both. Uh, I know I've thanked you a bunch of times, but one more time, I'll thank you both for coming on the program and taking the time to give us your thoughts and perspectives. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to hearing it. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.